back to the Devin Nunes podcast, and we are with Julie Kelly. Julie, I was going to say that you're one of our favorite guests, but you know what? Every week I have on really good guests, you know, people <laughs> that are not afraid to take on the fake news, not afraid to take on the tough issues, and no one, no one has done a better job than you on both the Russiagate hoax, but then also the January 6 hoax, which is... Um, you know, it gets worse and worse. And you were on this early. A lot of people were afraid to to even talk about mm -hmm. it. But as the evidence continues to come out, you continue to break uh, to break stories. And there's no one who knows more about it about it than you. But welcome back. Well, thanks as always for having me on, Devin. Really appreciate it. We've got a lot to cover, including breaking news. So let's just dive right in. Yeah, and, and, ha and happy holidays too to you. You too. Because Thank it's going to be, you're in Chicago. I hope you're going to get to Florida soon and get to safety. Yes, we are escaping here uh, right before Christmas. So we'll be in Florida for most of the winter. Looking forward to that. Nice. Well, I hope to see you uh, also when I'm in Florida, when, when you're you down great. here. I'm in Florida today, actually. Nice. Um, so if you're listening to this on audio, um, if you're listening to it live, thanks for tuning in on, on Rumble. Uh, if you're listening to this live or, or uh, on the podcast after the fact, we, Julie Kelly from Real Clear Investigations, and she has her uh, Substack uh, that she has. She is on True Social. Um, we always try to get Julie to post more on True Social, but she, you know, she's in. I she's, promise you know. will be my New Year's resolution. I just get so spun up and. Twitter and posting things that she gets, but she gets big stories. She does put the big stories up on, up on true social. Um, Julie breaking news. Um, you actually just broke it to me. Um, the appeals court has upheld the gag order. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, it is believable. It was uh, three Democrats, two Obama appointees and one Biden appointee. As you know, they have a three judge panel who hears it first. And so mm -hmm. I listened to the oral arguments on November 20th, not shocked, but um, what they said, of course, inflammatory themselves. And this is the gag order on Donald Trump, his attorneys, unspecified parties. He's not allowed to make public statements targeting Jack Smith, um, court staff, or potential witnesses. So that could be. And, and this was in what appeals court? Because because there's so many cases, it's hard to keep track of where all the cases are against Donald Trump. I think there's not a there's not a state there's not a blue state or a blue big city that doesn't have some case going against Donald Trump. But of course, right. this is one of the the main ones. Mm -hmm. um, is this, this, is, is this the, go ahead? Is this is this the D.C. Uh, case? Yes. On Jan six. Correct. So this is Jack Smith's four count indictment against Donald Trump for attempting to overturn the election and incite the events of January 6th. That case ended up on the desk of Judge Tanya Chutkin, a brazen partisan Obama appointee. I've covered uh, extensively her record related to January 6th cases and defendants. She has made inflammatory comments about Donald Trump during sentencing hearings of January 6th defendants, has suggested that he was responsible for January 6th. Nonetheless, she is still handling this trial. She denied the motion to recuse herself and then imposed this wide-ranging gag order. Of course, Trump's team appealed it to the D.C. appellate court also stacked with Democrats, went to a three-judge panel, all Democrats, as I said. They just upheld uh, the gag order. And here's what the judges said. Mr. Trump's documented pattern of speech and its demonstrated real-time, real-world consequences pose a significant 
an imminent threat to the functioning of the criminal trial process. That's the sort of thing you get out of our uh, courthouse in Washington. Uh, wow. But, you know, it's Banana Republic every day. It's something it's something new that gets crazier and they've managed to, you know, I, I always say it was, you know, it was all fun and games when uh, when they were, uh, you know, targeting conservatives with the IRS. Uh, and the next thing you know, Supreme Court justices are being targeted. And now you've got the, the courts have just been completely, uh, completely corrupted here. Mm -hmm. um, Julie, I want to let's stay on. Um, uh, on uh, this, you know, this very issue because because um, this gets right at the heart of of January sixth, and you had breaking uh, uh, breaking story, I think, just uh, either last night or this morning, um, that the J six committee that I was there in Congress when this was set up, mm -hmm. the J six committee um, seems to have, as the Republicans took over, and they're trying to find all the evidence. The evidence seems to be to be missing. Mm -hmm. uh, this is new that we haven't heard of this. We know that the tapes are missing, interviews are missing. Mm -hmm. um, there seems to be, you know, we don't know if, if if Jack Smith has this information or not, but but clearly the Congress has lost control of it. But now we've lost the Secret Service records also. Right. This is just sort of stunning <laughs> that um, not only this evidence has been buried and concealed from House Republicans in violation, as you know, Devin, to House rules, um, but it's also now being withheld from Donald Trump and his attorneys who are requesting some of this material in his criminal case. So what we know missing for sure are the um, all of the video recordings of the thousand plus depositions that the January 6th committee took of all of its witnesses. They have the written record, the transcribed interviews. But Benny Thompson told Representative Barry Loudermilk, who's the chairman of this oversight committee for House administration, they are really investigating both January 6th and the committee. Um, he told uh, Representative Loudermilk that, no, we didn't need to preserve the video recordings because we have the written transcripts. Well, then why did you do video recordings to begin with? Well, we know why, because they cherry picked clips and they used them during their televised performances of the committee to incriminate Donald Trump for January 6th and everyone around him. So those video uh, recordings apparently have been either destroyed or hidden somewhere. Then we come to find out the Secret Service agents who also testified to the committee, and it's important to emphasize this is the first time Congress has ever asked Secret Service officials and agents to testify about either their communications with the president, his whereabouts, uh, exchanges that they had with other staff members. This is the first time. And Joe Biden, like he's done with, done with Donald Trump uh, and other uh, cabinet officials, waived immunity for Secret Service agents. Of course, they would be able to go before a court or anywhere else and say, I have executive privilege immunity. He waived that privilege for agents, forcing them to testify to this committee and divulge details about what happened either before or on January 6th. Fine. He said it was in the national interest. Well, guess what, Devin? It's so much in the national interest that those transcripts are now buried at the Department of Homeland Security, as you know, the agency that oversees the U.S. Secret Service. So Barry Loudermilk, Representative Loudermilk, is also trying to find those transcripts. This is in addition to text messages between 24 Secret Service officials, including the director at the time, texts that were deleted from December 8th 
of 2020 to January 8th of 2021. The Secret Service came back when they were, uh, the committee subpoenaed those text messages. Uh, the Secret Service came back and said, oh, the old factory reset, we were doing a data migration, whatever excuse. And all of those text messages are deleted forever and can't be retrieved. So, of course, they're, they're in the same time. place as the uh, struck Lisa Page <laughs> Russia hoaxers. Uh, uh, all text their phones messages. were scrubbed. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Same place. So, of course, this just feeds into, I think, legitimate speculation and suspicion that there's far more to January 6th than met the eye that day that we were watching on television. And so mm -hmm. I do think that Congress, especially under the new speaker, is very serious about continuing to investigate January 6th, what really happened, and more importantly, the fraud that the January 6th Select Committee perpetrated on the American people about January 6th. And where are the 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 tapes, um, all the Jan 6 tapes? Are they... Are they? I know. I know you got to to look at some of them early on. Um, I know some got put out a few weeks ago. But but w where are we at in, in terms of of what what's left? What percentage? Or how how do you define of you know how many of these tapes are out? How many tapes are remaining? What 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 do we need to see? So you're referring to the surveillance video. So this is around the Capitol. Yes. Correct. Right. So these are the security cameras, as you know, posted throughout the Capitol building, all of the Senate and House office buildings and the grounds and really the entire surrounding area. So there's roughly 44,000 hours of surveillance video. Of course, the overwhelming majority has nothing to do with what happened either before mm -hmm. or on that day. Um, but we were promised under Speaker McCarthy that those uh, that footage would be released to the public. Uh, they really kind of slow walked it. Part of it is the fault of the Department of Justice and Capitol Police, because keep in mind, this has been under a blanket protective order since March of 2021. Even little clips that have been used in um, hearings or court proceedings have been under protective orders. So they really kept a close hold on this. So I do think that Speaker McCarthy and his staff were working hard to um, leverage <laughs> to get that footage uh, out from the claws of Capitol Police and DOJ. Um, so I did have access. I was one of three journalists given access to it last spring and did see quite a bit of it. They are now posting it on Rumble on a rolling basis. I think that on, and I think they're doing it per camera. There are hundreds of cameras uh, that uh, yeah. really are tied to what happened on January 6th. So they're not clipping it. They're really going to provide all the footage from, say, one camera from the night before throughout uh, the day on January 6th. And is that there's a lot more to... to see though? Okay. And so the, is that currently? I mean, we should know this. We work closely with Rumble, but is that is there anything on Rumble yet? Mm -hmm. Yes. There are. Yes. Okay. So people, okay. I think you can go to either January 6th or perhaps House Administration Committee. They really just started uploading it the past few days on Rumble. Because as okay. you know, they posted that first set of clips. Those were the clips that were given to Tucker. Um, but now they're just doing it, not clipped, just the raw footage so people can can make their own clips and see what happened. Okay. I want to play, I'm going to play uh, a video of, of some of those clips. Um, it's a Newsmax report um, showing police being let into the Capitol. And I want to get you to comment. Let's play the, let's play the first tape. Bowing protesters onto the steps of Capitol Hill. Have you seen this? No one 
has explained what this was all about. And this happened all over Capitol Hill that day. You'll see in another portion here, these barricades being removed by police officers so these people can get inside the Capitol building. And then there were others, Capitol Hill police officers, just standing by, just welcome to the Capitol. What was all of this about? What was all of this about? Also, and you've seen this by now, the Horns guy and others like him just allowed into the Senate. The police here are willing to work with us and cooperate peacefully like our First Amendment allows. Gather more Americans under the condition that they will come and gather peacefully to discuss what needs to be done to save our country. Well, Julie, so, you know, I've always said that the people who broke the windows, I think last time you were on, we talked about this, like, I have no problem with those people being busted. But right. I mean, the people that are, that are, and we went through last time, so many people that are in jail that didn't even go into the Capitol, mm -hmm. um, but also people that were just led into the Capitol. Mm -hmm. um, what, um, you know, what do you think we're going to find here as we see more and more of these, the, the tapes? Well, I think you saw the reaction from the corporate media and, of course, members of the January 6th Select Committee when that first set of clips were released. Because to your point and some of the video that you showed, now that um, surveillance video of the Upper West Terrace we've had in public for uh, probably the past year and a half, um, of course, the January 6th Select Committee did not offer that up during their nighttime televised performances. But at that location, at least 300 people entered the Capitol building, including people like Ethan Nordine, a member of the Proud Boys who was convicted of seditious conspiracy and sentenced to 16 years in prison. Um, so that just contradicted their whole narrative. And that's why I think you saw the meltdown of the um, corporate reporters and the J6 Select Committee because Americans are going, wait a second, we, we've never seen this. We've never seen police just standing there as people walked into the building or as they're walking through the building. We didn't see them fist bumping them and, you know, thanking protesters, thanking police for their service. So uh, there's a lot more of that to be seen. But Devin, I think people should brace themselves. What I've reported for almost two years and have referred to this January 6th as the biggest incident of police brutality since the civil rights era, how DC Metro and Capitol Police behaved that day, instigated most of the violence that we saw. And when the American people start to see that on surveillance video and also body-worn camera, which I post a lot on my Substack, they will be shocked and disgusted at how police behaved that day. And we have up on the screen the uh, Rumble channel uh, here. Um, it looks like it's the, uh, oversight, uh, uh, from the Republican majority. Um, so it's up there, it's up on, on the screen. So you can go to rumble and start to view those videos. Julia, how many, uh, how many people are, I mean, how many people are, are in jail now, roughly? I know there's so many, mm -hmm. how many are left in the DC gulag? Um, and, and, and we don't know, it seems like every week there's somebody new. I heard about somebody like went to a meeting and they came back and they got arrested um, yeah. last week. What, what do we have? Where we where do we stand with all this? It's becoming so hard to even keep track of. It is. Uh, but the bottom line is that the Department of Justice continues to arrest and charge people 
almost every day, they are on pace for last month and this month, arresting one individual every business day. Just yesterday, they announced the arrest of a 65-year-old woman from Texas who they claim assaulted a member of the media and perhaps a police officer. Now, we can't trust anything the DOJ says at this point, but the Mm -hmm. fact that they are using these extensive resources to continue to investigate people and arrest and charge them now almost three years later, when, as you know, the events that happened just months before January 6th, especially in Washington, the 2020 riots that were far more destructive has been completely memory hold by this DOJ. So you have nearly 1,300 people who have been arrested and charged. Matthew Graves, who is a U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, Biden appointee, told the Washington Post last year that the caseload, total caseload could reach 2,000 and beyond. The first time I think a federal prosecutor has set a quota for the number of people he wanted to arrest for an alleged crime. So the fact that this is still ongoing, um, I think, also is part of people's outrage uh, about how the government is handling January 6th. Yeah. And then there's that uh, you reported on the D.C. jury process. Mm-hmm. And and so this the jury selection process is also of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, that was from a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's uh, they're. It's a banana style, banana republic style proceedings in this D.C. federal courthouse. I never failed to be completely just really sad in many ways, but disgusted and outraged at what I see happening in these courtrooms. And Devin, these are judges of all stripes. These are Reagan judges. These are Trump appointed judges. Of course, Obama and Clinton. uh, And now we have Biden judges there as well. So there's no way that a January 6th defendant should face trial in Washington, D.C., which is why um, DOJ has a perfect conviction rate for January 6th defendants before juries. Not a single January 6th defendant has been fully acquitted by a D.C. jury. Now we're almost two years into when the first trial started. Think about that. 180 defendants convicted by juries. Now, some charges were acquitted. You know, some charges they a jury would find them not guilty on. But not one defendant has been acquitted outright. Uh, I mean, compare that to what happened in the other domestic terror investigation, the Whitmer fednapping hoax. You had four men who faced federal trial. Two of them were acquitted. Two got a hung jury. And then three men were acquitted in a state trial. So when they go outside of Washington, you actually have a chance of getting a fair trial. Not happening for January 6th and certainly will not happen for Donald Trump. They will file a change of venue motion. Tanya Chutkin will deny it, and there's no way to appeal it. He it, he will be stuck facing trial in Washington, D.C. Just uh, astonishing. Yeah. Well, I was um, I was there January 6th. I wonder if I'm going to be arrested soon, possibly. Um, <laughs> Don't say it out loud. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I was a sitting member of Congress at the time. Um, right. But, you know, you it's just like, who are they not going to go after? And I still, I, I still say, I couldn't believe I've been there for so many protests. And, and when that, the protest that was there, uh, there was no issue. There's protests in Washington every single day. Um, you know, every, every day that I was in Congress, there was a protest, some, some really large. It's the first time, especially so close to inauguration 
that they didn't have any fencing up whatsoever. Even when there's a going to be a decision with the Supreme Court, Julie, on the with what is the east side of the Capitol, mm -hmm. they always put up fencing there, even when it's like something that's like a minor decision and they put up, you know, they put up uh, fencing. There was no fencing, no fencing except for what I call the bicycle racks that, you know, you can you can just jump right over. Um, that's all that was up. So it was almost like, um, you know, and then, of course, you've got this, you know, the, the ongoing crazy issue that that, you know, Trump had authorized the the National Guard to be available. Pelosi and company and the D.C. mayor refused to have the D.C. Uh, guard there. I think even that I mean, they should have had the fencing up. That probably would have been enough. Mm -hmm. But for sure, the D.C. guard would have been enough. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have the issue of of. You know, I think last time I was on uh, that you were on this show, um, I was I've been I've been very critical because from what I said, the the very day that it happened, I said, who the hell are breaking these windows? And the next day, you know, they wanted to talk about Trump and all this stuff. I said, look, I don't care about that. I only care about people who broke the windows and broke into the Capitol because we already knew that day that a lot of those people had just come in. You know, they didn't even know a lot of those people. There was crowds of people. They just they just mm -hmm. walked right in. And it is the people's house, Julie. Um, right. people are welcome to go into the people's house. Now there's a, a process that you have to go through, go through the, the detectors and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. But, but the doors were open. People were just walking in. So last time I talked to you, there was only one person who had been, uh, convicted of actually like breaking in, breaking the windows. Um, and that was actually some kind of affiliated with the Democrats somehow, uh, or the left. Has there been anybody else that's been convicted of, breaking the windows. Most notably, I want to know those guys that were in the face mask. We saw it over and over and over again, had the ballpoint right. hammers to break the windows open. We saw that video. I must have seen it, you know, 500 times. Right. I'm sure many of you that are out there watching saw that. Have they ever found those guys? I don't believe that they have found the individuals who broke the first window pane uh, before then. The most famous window breaker is Dominic Pizzola. Of the, um, uh, he was tied to the Proud Boys. So he was the one who had the riot shield and was smashing the window towards the northwest side. And that enabled people to go in and, and open the door from the inside. So, of course, he has been charged. He was arrested right away and sat mm -hmm. in, the, uh, in prison before he went to trial and, of course, was convicted. So they have have arrested and convicted individuals of vandalizing property. Um, but this is not what that's and totally about. appropriate, by the way. Ab well, absolutely. Although if you break a window at the Capitol, still does not justify sitting in prison for two years awaiting trial. You know, that just is it's it's a bad thing, but it's not normally something that people with no criminal record sit in a DC gulag, uh, you know, months in solitary confinement uh, for smashing a window. So, um, you know, of course, we can agree that people who committed violence, especially who assaulted police without provocation, I have to use that qualifier, um, should uh, pay the penalty. And they are, but that's not what this is about. This is criminalizing was... political dissent and, and tormenting people. So I was, um, uh, also there um, when the, the White House was uh, uh, mm -hmm. under fire. Um, right. I wasn't at the White House, but I was in Washington um, when they set the church on fire and all that craziness. Mm -hmm. And you had the former uh, General Milley, you know, who then, you know, acted like, you know, went to the church as, you know, any military official should after you almost had the freaking White House overrun. Um, you know, he made an ass out of himself. Um, but I was also there the night of the, it was COVID during that time in 2020. Um, and Julie, me 
and many, I never complained about it, but me and many other members of Congress were assaulted to That's some right. degree uh, when we were leaving the, mm-hmm. well, coming into the White House for the, what was the, the Donald Trump's acceptance speech for the Republican mm-hmm. nomination. Um, and, you know, you, some were physically attacked. I want to say that Senator Rand Paul was attacked, I believe. He and um, his like, wife. Yeah, right. physically attacked. Um, Brian but, you know, many of us, Yeah, yeah. And, you know, nothing happened to any of those people. Nothing. And we were, and I mean, look, these are senators and congressmen. And, and I mean, they had to have video footage. They had to know who these people were. And none of them got it. None of them got busted. Right. I mean, that I know of. No, I don't think any of them got charged and prosecuted. So to your yeah. point, I think that was September of 2020. Then fast forward to November and December of 2020, the Stop the Steel rallies. I think they had the Million MAGA March was in November. And you had Trump supporters, I mean, mothers with babies and strollers being assaulted by BLM and Antifa rioters. So that's why on January 6th, a lot of people brought legal. This is why they had pepper spray and they had things like bear spray. Some of them had tactical vests on. They had military gear because they had seen all of these assaults throughout the second half of 2020. And they, especially just on protesters, to your point, lawmakers as well, that's why they sort of came um, prepared. Yes, there's Rand and Kelly Paul who were surrounded. And of course, Brian Mast, who has two artificial limbs. Yep. War, war, Iraq war veteran got his legs uh, um, amputated. Um, yes. I forget what the injury was, but good friend of mine, congressman from Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, those, and furthermore, back to the Lafayette Square incident, when the White House was locked down because protesters were burning sections, you know, around Lafayette Square, St. John's Church, which is just across the street, um, prompting the lockdown of the White House, assaults on federal police officers, vandalizing federal property, the same common charges related to January 6th. Not only were all of those cases dropped, The same D.C. prosecutor, Matthew Graves, helped negotiate a settlement between rioters who sued Park Police and Secret Police for using excessive force. (laughs) Matthew Graves initiated an agreement with both sides, admonished Secret uh, Service and Park Police for uh, what they did to rioters at Lafayette Square. But then you have the complete opposite of how he is handling January 6th, because, of course, he's a Biden appointee and uh, I mean another brazen partisan. We're speaking to Julie Kelly on live on Rumble. Thank you for all of you who are who are tuning in right now. There's a lot of breaking news. And Julie, we could take up like hours and hours here because <laughs> yeah. um, you you know so much and you've done so much. Uh, she writes for Real Clear Investigations and Substack. Um, before we, we we have a I have several other issues I want to talk to you about, but um, let's just kind of come full circle and, and finish up the January 6th. Let's go back to 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 Trump. Uh, and the, the Jack Smith prosecution, we heard of this breaking, we talked about the breaking news that there, that the gag, gag order is going to be upheld, but there's also um, this issue where they're rushing to trial. This is going to be yes. the fastest trial ever. They're not giving Trump any, in his lawyers, any uh, documentation, any evidence. Um, and look, they're going to look, they're going to, what in, is it, is it March? Like we're like what, two, 60 days away and the jury trial is going to begin, right? Right. So uh, Tanya Chutkin set a seven month schedule between arrest, indictment or not arrest, indictment and trial. That is unheard of, 
especially in January 6 cases, usually it's 13, 14 months between indictment because there's such a backlog now also in the court system in Washington because it's flooded with hundreds of January 6 cases. She purposely expedited this trial schedule seven months in an unprecedented criminal prosecution of a, of a former president. She is greasing the skids for Jack Smith every step of the way, of course, the gag order. She also recently denied, she's the first U.S. judge to state that a president can be criminally charged and prosecuted and taken to trial. Yeah. So this is, yeah, this is this just to give the the listener uh, and viewer right now, um, you know, in case you've never been involved in, in litigation um, or even congressional investigations. I mean, you know, we spent years trying to get evidence out of DOJ uh, during the Russia hoax uh, days and the many investigations that I was on, they would go, they would bleed out for, for, for years. Mm -hmm. um, also, Julie, in some of the, I won't get into the specific cases, um, but well, we're involved in very simple defamation cases um, mm -hmm. here. At, you know, we don't tolerate being defamed or slandered here at Truth Social. We will take you to court, the fake news uh, people, as they've learned, myself mm -hmm. in included, I've brought cases. Mm -hmm. um, we don't tolerate uh, that type of illegal activity. Um, and I will tell you, Julie, it's incredible um, the pace, the slow pace. I have I have cases where I'm taking on the, the fake news. I mean, it's been years, mm -hmm. years, months, discovery, discovery in these yeah. cases. And, and, and this is very simple, not not like a criminal case. Discovery goes on for months. I, I mean, you know, six months, eight months. It's incredible just to put yeah. it in perspective. And they are basically going, you know, from A to Z in the matter of just a few months in this case. Yes. And I think there's 12 million pages of discovery and they are still <laughs> producing it. Jack Smith to Donald Trump's team. And get this, this is the sort of thinking that you get out of Judge Chutkin. Um, I was in her courtroom when they were debating this the trial schedule and Trump's lawyers were saying, look, you know, we just got this. There's millions of pages of evidence that's going to be produced and this is going to be a very litigious before we get to trial. And Judge Chutkin told Trump's lawyers that they should have been preparing for this case a, for the past year. Basically said, you knew he was going to be indicted. You should have been collecting this evidence from where? The January 6th Select Committee? I, I don't know. <laughs> the evidence is no longer around? Yeah, yeah. And John Laurel, the attorney said, I mean, of course he was stunned as any attorney or anyone would be saying, well, wait a second. You don't just get to backdate the clock to say, well, you should have gathered evidence from where for an indictment. We didn't know what it was going to be. So that is the kind of thinking or logic yeah. that comes out of Judge Chutkin. Okay. So let's leave that because there's a lot of other shenanigans that I want to get you to comment on. Um, but I want to play uh, a video here. We're going to move on to Douglas Mackey. Um, this gets kind of to the heart of true social freedom of speech, mm -hmm. um, something that was clearly a joke. I mean, anybody that's in, I mean, we have stuff, you see it all over social media mm -hmm. uh, all the time. Um, but <laughs> Douglas Mackey uh, was sentenced to seven months in prison for posting a meme about Hillary Clinton supporters to vote via text message, which is idiotic. Everybody knows it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but here's Tucker Carlson. We're going to play a video of Tucker Carlson back uh, when he was on uh, Fox. 
The federal criminal trial of a man called Douglas Mackey began this week in Brooklyn. It's the single greatest assault on free speech and human rights in this country's modern history. The Biden administration is trying to send a man to prison for saying things they don't like and create a precedent so they can do it to you, too. Here's the background. During the 2016 presidential campaign, Mackey posted memes that made fun of Hillary Clinton and her supporters. One of them on Twitter read this way, quote, avoid the line, vote from home, text Hillary to 59925. That was obviously a joke and everyone knew it was a joke. But the FBI, which probably has nothing else to do, tracked down several people who texted that number in Mackey's meme. None of them remembered even doing it. That's according to discovery in the case. So there's no victim here. No one was fooled by what Mackey did. And yet days after Biden took office, four years after Mackey posted that meme, the feds arrested him and they charged him with conspiring to interfere with the rights of American citizens. He'd go to jail for 10 years for that. That means if you crack a joke on the internet that Democrats don't like, federal prosecutors get to decide you're interfering with an election. It's hard to imagine a more Soviet prosecution than this, but it gets worse. The DOJ's key witness against Mackey is a member of Mackey's group chat from seven years ago. But DOJ will not let his lawyers, Mackey's lawyers, conduct a full cross-examination of that witness because he works for the FBI. In other words, the FBI put an agent in his group text. DOJ just obtained an order, quote, precluding questioning by the defense concerning the details of any of the confidential witnesses' current proactive work for the FBI or any other government agencies. What? The DOJ is also telling Mackey's lawyers they can't even say the name of this witness, this snitch, in open court. Now, that violates the confrontation clause in the Constitution. You get to confront witnesses against you in a free country, especially when they're FBI informants. But that no longer exists. The DOJ says if this man's identity is disclosed, he will face online harassment. Therefore, he gets to testify anonymously. Well, there yeah. you go, Julie. So uh, this week, though, a judge did stay that sentence. So, mm -hmm. so far, he's Douglas Mackey is out of... Uh, out of uh, jail for now, but this is this is appalling, honestly. And let's put the let's put the uh, well. This is he Douglas Mackey's on a true social. I don't think I follow him. I'm gonna have to follow him. Um, but let's um, let's put back up. So this is the meme um, for those of you listening later on on audio. Um, so it's hashtag I'm with her. Hashtag Go Hillary. Avoid the line. Vote from home. Text Hillary to five nine nine two five. I believe that, Julie, don't you? I mean, I, I mean, everybody knows you can vote by phone. Well, like Tucker said, you know, only Hillary Clinton voters are stupid enough to think that you could vote by text. Um, Nobody, look, <laughs> maybe only the uh, ballot harvesters that go out where there's actually right. not a person. Is that maybe only those James, people. by the way? Look, that looks like her. Is that look, her? I'm no, who knows? But, you know, I'm no, uh, uh, obviously... Um, I'm, I'm saddened by where this country has gone, how, yes. how the left has become very, very, you know, communist, almost fascist in many ways. Um, but look, I'm not like naive enough to think that those people are so stupid to the point of, I don't agree with their policies, but they have to know they can't just pick up their phone, get on true social and vote. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, look, this is the sort of thing I've seen played out by, uh, in these January 6th court proceedings, memes. Uh, things that people posted on their Facebook, uh, any social media account that were critical of the Democrats has been used as evidence against them. Uh, and look, we know that there were numerous group chats that were infiltrated by FBI informants, especially uh, group chats for the Proud Boys. 
And they were not allowed to identify who those individuals were also. Um, and that was kept under tight seal, exactly who they were. The government finally stipulated at least eight informants were run into the Proud Boys. But during uh, cross-examination during the trial, government witnesses admitted that, that the real number was probably at least twice that, possibly more. So this is what the FBI is spending their time doing, infiltrating group chats, infiltrating Facebook, Facebook groups, et cetera, to try Infra to find Infiltrating uh, Catholic churches. Exactly. That's how they yeah. find their Going target. out targeting priests and choir directors. Um, yeah, they're a genius. And meanwhile, they're not doing anything about the border and all the criminality. We have an invasion going on the border. Anyway, it's the holiday time, Julie. Let's be, you know, happy. <laughs> it's Friday cheerful. afternoon. We, you know, we always use this, you call this kind of wind down Fridays, you know, kind of making a joke about my wine, which we're going to have a, a great, uh, I did an interview with Sebastian Gorka, a good friend of Julie Kelly's. Okay. Um, on his show yesterday, we talked about my little, my, my fun little hobby, um, uh, producing, uh, wine on the central coast of California. Julie, I'm going to get you some wine. Um, but I, I do, I, love wine. <laughs> I do. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I know that even though I don't think you and I have, but I'm, well, I'm going to be anxious to, to have you evaluate <laughs> my wine, but anyway, we'll get back to Look that. Um, uh, let's get one more bad story. Um, okay. I, I mean, I guess that last story is a little bit positive, right? Cause at least Douglas yes. Mackey is his, his decision has been stayed by a judge. Let's hope it gets kicked out. Um, but a Wendy's, a lot of people will remember this. A Wendy's was burnt down. I like Wendy's. Um, you know, it's good fast food place. Um, but uh, it was during the 2020 Black Lives Matter. I want to play uh, a video here of that Wendy's being burnt down. Right now, an update surrounding the Atlanta riots during the summer of 2020. Three people accused of burning down the Wendy's where an Atlanta police officer shot and killed Rayshard Brooks have now been indicted. Rebecca Schramm is in downtown Atlanta. Rebecca, police actually arrested all three of these people within just a couple of weeks of that arson. Yeah, and now, Gravier and Rob, uh, a year and a half later, a grand jury has formally charged them. They believe there's enough evidence to send the trio to trial. Take a look. Here they are. John Wesley Wade, Natalie Hannah White, and Chisholm Kingston. Each is charged with arson in the first degree and conspiracy to commit arson. Images of the civil unrest here in Atlanta that summer were seen nationwide, including when protesters burned down that Wendy's after an off officer shot and killed Rayshard Brooks in the parking lot. Body cam video showed the shooting happened after Brooks struck one of the officers, took his taser, and then pointed it toward the officers as he ran. The next day, armed protesters showed up at the restaurant and rioters set it on fire. It burned to the ground because firefighters couldn't safely get to the scene. So, Julie, if you and I went out and set a Wendy's on fire, um, you know, in Florida, but maybe when you get down to Florida, you and I will go set a Wendy's on fire. Um, <laughs> what do you think would happen to us? Yeah, you would not face um, state charges like these individuals. They mm -hmm. should be facing federal charges and all of them should be facing terror charges. <laughs> in we, jail. But, but I mean, look, I, if we burnt down a Wendy's, yeah, we would, uh, we would go to jail. I mean, yes. This is, this is ridiculous. But this week, um, two of the three uh, were, um, I, I think, given a plea deal. 
um, which is only going to result in a fine and probation. Do you think, would, would Julie Kelly get a fine and probation? <laughs> no, I would still be riding in the gulag somewhere. That's for yeah. sure. But yeah, I mean, if you go to, uh, you know, your place in Florida, I mean, of course, I know you wouldn't do this, but... Um, or, or but Chicago. look, it's this, it's this double standard of justice that really infuriates people. To your point, back to what you started with, people who committed real violence on January 6th, people want them punished. They understand that. But the fact that you have all of these rioters who really terrorized the country for months, caused so much destruction, uh, responsible for, what, two dozen or so deaths, including a police officer, that that has just disappeared uh, you know, I will give a plug for the movie The Fall of Minneapolis. I don't know. If oh, yes. It. Yes. The Fall of Minneapolis. It's on Rumble. Um, I posted that on True Social. Somebody said, uh, was telling me about this. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, um, it involves the uh, killing of well, of uh, George Floyd and Derek Chauvin, uh, who's now in jail, who just got stabbed like a bunch of times a couple yeah. weeks ago. Uh, Julie, I'm glad you brought that up because um, that video is becoming very popular. I haven't I haven't been able to watch it yet, but people are enjoying it on True Social and Rumble. People really should watch it. You should try to watch it over the weekend. I guess or I'm sorry, Julie. Enjoy is the is the wrong. Yeah, enjoy is not just, the word. <laughs> enjoy is not the word. People are watching it and they come out. I think just you know, a lot of information they had no no idea of. None. Um, and and Chauvin has no ability anymore, I guess, to to no. appeal any of this. He doesn't. The Supreme Court uh, would not hear his appeal. Really, another um, really puzzling decision by the Supreme Court. But watching that um, and seeing what happened in Minneapolis uh, and still what's happening and how these Democratic politicians let these police officers basically run for their lives on numerous occasions and burn down the third precinct building in the seat of Minneapolis. I mean, they told the police to evacuate, take all of your belongings, get out of there. And they left it up for grabs. And of course the rioters went in, destroyed it and burned it. Um, but the footage and the whole timeline of what actually happened with George Floyd and of course the autopsy, what the judge did in that trial to set up Derek Chauvin. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's tragic what happened to our country uh, because this degenerate drug addict, drug dealer, uh, you know, criminal with a long history of, of committing violent crimes who was drugged up that day, that this happened to our country because of his death. Um, yeah, and it's, it's and it's the really extreme, right? You feel stuff. horrible for these police officers yes. who are out there, many of whom are, are probably watching right now on the live stream. I've got people in my family that work in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, it's a it's a tough job. Um, and I think no, I, I don't think anyone was making an argument still that, you know, maybe Chauvin you know, needed to uh, be disciplined, maybe even fired. I mean, you know, who knows what that background is, but but now you have this whole new set of rules that apply to police officers as they engage with, mm -hmm. with I guess, only African-Americans. You know, I don't know how this is going to be in, in, enforced, but you got somebody on drugs. You know, I'm sorry if I'm in that neighborhood. I mean, I don't care if you're on drugs and you're going crazy. Like, I want to make sure that my, that, that my family is protected. Right. Um, now, if Chauvin did something wrong, you know, and, and, and there was police brutality, 
there's rules and laws on the books to, 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 for that to be enforced. And this is, he's spending like 17 years in, in, in jail. I think 22 years he was sentenced. Um, but what's, and I've seen this and you know, everyone sees this, but if you haven't been following criminal trials, um, it, it's pretty enlightening, but now we have a whole political narrative that these judges are responsible for enforcing. And the judge, just like you see in Washington, a former prosecutor for the very same prosecution office that was um, handling the prosecution of Derek Chauvin. So what you have are basically prosecutors who are then promoted to the bench, but they're still protecting the office and their former colleagues who they used to work for. Uh, so they don't want to embarrass them. So you have this judge who's making all these decisions about what evidence the jury could see. George Floyd did not die of anything that Derek Chauvin did. And furthermore, it appears that what Derek Chauvin was doing with that particular hold, and there's a name for it, I can't remember it, but that particular method of um, containing a defendant, apparently Minneapolis police are taught to do that. It's in their training manual. The judge would not let the jury see that. That's just one example of the judge being a filter to what the jury saw. But then you saw the jury interviews afterwards, and they understood. You had jurors saying, we convicted him because we did not want to see the city burn down again. Um, yeah. So it, it's really a tragic. I really applaud. I believe her name is Liz Collin. She might be mm -hmm. a good guest to have on in the future. Um, she's the one who produced it. She interviewed um, not just other police officers who were on duty throughout that whole uh, time in in, uh, in late May and June of 2020, but she also talked to Derek Chauvin from jail. We're talking to Julie Kelly. You can watch the fall of Minneapolis mm -hmm. on on Rumble. I actually posted it to, to Truth to my feed. Uh, maybe I'll I, I'll try to post it again for everybody uh, when I get off the air here. But if you're if you're listening later, it should be on my feed or just go to Rumble and type in the fall of Minneapolis. Thanks thanks for bringing that up, Julie. Mm -hmm. um, we are uh, we're running out of time, but I want to this you know Biden this week. Lots going on with Hunter Biden. I have to get your uh, take on the Hunter Biden situation. But uh, Joe Biden um, this week was finally asked by the fake news uh, about what he knew about it. And let's play this last clip here. President Biden on Ukraine and also China. Uh, there is polling by the Associated Press that shows that almost 70 percent of Americans, including 40 percent of Democrats, believe that you acted either illegally or unethically in regards to your family's business interests. Can you explain to the Americans uh, to Americans admit this impeachment inquiry, why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not, and it's just a bunch of lies. You didn't interact with many I, of their lies. business associates? I did not. There's what, lies. There are lies, Julie. They're lies. Just lies. Okay. And, yep, and, but, you, you know, last night, Hunter Biden was indicted, I don't know, nine indictments for tax mm -hmm. fraud. Once again, if it was you or I, we would have been indicted for a whole bunch of other things, not just uh, not just tax fraud. Uh, but what do you think? What, what's your opinion? Where do you think this is going with Biden, um, with, with President Biden, not uh, Hunter Biden? I don't think we care about that. But is is I mean, I mean, look, they're lies. I mean, this is what he's saying. He, he just refuses to take responsibility when the Republicans have. You know, now they've, you know, uh, James Comer, Jim Jordan, uh, mm -hmm. my former colleagues, they have you know, numerous bank records showing money going from one place to, to another. And I made the joke yesterday when I was on with Sebastian Gorka, you know, remember when when General Flynn 
uh, went to, all he did was go to a, uh, a conference in Moscow. He told you at the Department mm-hmm. of, of Defense, he was, this was when he was out, he had been removed by Obama. He told the Department of Defense uh, that he was going to go over to Moscow, that he was going to uh, give a speech there, that he was going to get paid for it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, he reported it on his taxes and he was investigated and completely slandered across all the media of why was General Flynn in Moscow when he told our government he was going to Moscow. Now, here we have here we have somebody not reporting income, which is probably, I don't know, it's going to be what, $100 million probably that the family has taken you know, mm-hmm. from the mayor of Moscow, from Ukraine, from China, from God knows, knows where else. Uh, some of that money ended up in Joe Biden's uh, bank account. Mm-hmm. But they're lies, Julie. Well, it was interesting to see how the reporter had to set that question up because he started with, yeah, I have a question about China and Ukraine. So here's Joe Biden thinking, oh, this is going to be a question about my fabulous foreign policy. And of course, the reporter leads him right into the trap of asking about um, the allegations and now proven allegations about his son and Joe Biden's direct knowledge and involvement with those overseas business dealings. Um, And so, of course, he just says they're lies. But this is what Joe Biden has gotten away with saying for years about this. I mean, anytime a reporter had the guts to confront him about this, he would get in their face and point. And those are lies. There's not a tiny bit of evidence, he would say, he said to one reporter, not a single tiny shred that any of that is true. So he's gotten away with it for years. So he, you know, this is what he's programmed to say. And the media. And he did that thing where he just leans to the mic and whispers. Yeah, real lies. creepy. Yeah, right. <laughs> creepy Joe. You're okay, so bonus question here. Um, and I asked most of my guests guess this, but do you think Biden is going to be ultimately be on the ballot against Trump next November? Yes, I do. You There's, do? Oh, for sure. There's no way he's going. And I'll tell you what, even if he wanted to retire, Dr. Jill will never let him give up this gig because no one loves being first lady more than Dr. Jill. So she is the one. I think you could see her at all of these events. You know, she has to help him off the stage. She has to speak for him. It's sometimes at cabinet meetings. There's not a chance Dr. Jill is going to give up her throne as uh, first lady. So I don't see any way. I mean, how would Biden be removed? There, and I mean, even if he's impeached, obviously won't be convicted, but how are they going to get rid of him? He's not going to step down. No yeah. chance. Well, there you have it. Julie Kelly, the Patriot. <laughs> and Julie, I have this bottle of wine that's being sent to you. My Patriot Cabernet for people like you. Awesome. You are a Patriot. You are amazing. Your story is incredible. We've talked Thank about you. it before, but you were writing about cooking and really nice things like that. And then <laughs> all of a sudden uh, you... Uh, got uh, fed up with the uh, government corruption and you started writing from nowhere uh, about uh, the Russia hoax and, and mm-hmm. other shenanigans in our own government. And now you're one of the best uh, reporters <laughs> uh, in the business. I mean, congratulations. Yeah. You really you really are um, uh, one of the few that are out there. You're the, I think you stood there by yourself on the January 6th uh, issue um, defending People that are, you know, in some cases tough to defend, but I think other cases not so tough to defend, especially the way they've been treated. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on again. And I always say to you, 
uh, and Jack and um, others uh, who you guys really led the way, you know, on how to stand for what's right, uncover the truth, even if you're sort of alone, take on not you guys didn't just take on Democrats in the media, but most of the Republican Party to, you know, keep digging and do what you did. So um, I want to thank you guys for what you did, because it really did pave the way for others to be courageous and uh, in the face of obvious brazen uh, government corruption. Well, Julie, have a good holiday. And I want you to let me know if you like the wine or not. I hope that you, I hope that you like it. And um, I'm sure I will. Cab yeah. is one of my favorites, so I'm All right, you'll have to try my Portuguese uh, varietals that I'm growing on the central coast of California. Wow, this yeah. is exciting. Very unique. It's like the, yeah. it's kind of the, where science and art kind of mix with uh, with Love winemaking. It. It's been a, a passion and a hobby. And thank you for all of you who have joined uh, the Founders Club at devinnuniswines.com. Uh, dot, dot oh, it's almost sold out. Uh, but, um, my main thing is I hope that everybody enjoys the wine and I hope I sell enough so that I don't actually spin through my kids, uh, college fund, hopefully. <laughs> oh, don't send them to college. Waste of money. Wine is way better. That's, that's, teach that teach is true. Making. That is a, that is a very good point. This morning, a guy, uh, I was at, at coffee here in Sarasota, Florida and talking about where on earth, the, you know, my daughter just turned 16 and wondering or am I going to be able to send my daughter to school? I mean, it's it's getting harder and harder for you know universities that uh, that aren't like totally woke and and, and useless. Yes, very yeah. tough. So yeah. I have a little bonus coverage, like we did last week. We had little Victor Davis Hansen, but uh, I want to play uh, a little bit from Doctor Sebastian Gorka, Seabass, uh, who, who I like to call him. I had a good time on his show yesterday, but we talked a little bit about my wine project, uh, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. But until Next time, Julie, thank you so much. Have a good Christmas and a new year. It's Devin Nunes. We will catch you next week on Wine Down Friday. Talking of Christmas, let's have a little bit of fun. We'll get back to the serious stuff momentarily. But uh, you are a man of the land, uh, Devin Nunes. You are a farmer, but you are also of Portuguese descent. And you have a, um, a new venture. I, I am not a, I don't, I haven't drunk alcohol for 20 years. My wife and I gave up when uh, my parents passed uh, in the same year. It was a tough year 20 years ago. But I have guests, we have dinner parties, and um, good red wine is, you know, it's a good thing when you find it. So, Devin, will you explain to me how you are um, leveraging your heritage and uh, what your latest project is? Well, thank you. And I've, I've got a bottle right here for you. Oh, Seabass. my gosh. So I this love this. This was the Patriot. It's the Patriot. What is that? Cabernet. is that? The Cabernet? That's the Cabernet. So it's not a Portuguese varietal. But this was actually named on True Social. I put up a poll and said, hey, folks, I'm going to make some Portuguese varietals in California. But I'm also going to make a, a red and a Bordeaux. And uh, we put this up and people voted to have a Patriot. So. Look, it's really a hobby of mine. I, I come from, you know, my family had 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 grapes. My my, you know, I think every generation that I that I can trace back uh, were farmers and specifically uh, grew grapes and, and made wine. Um, I've I've actually been involved in the in the wine business even when I was in Congress in a small boutique winery. This is just a project. It's a it's a passion. It's a hobby. It um, has to it has to be a real labor of love. It's like it's like running a restaurant. My brother-in-law has a restaurant. He's a chef. You, you don't do this for money and fame. This has to be a labor of love. Is this a labor of love for you, Devin? 
Yeah, I mean, really, it's it's a mission for me. It's 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 really my contribution to modern art. Um, it's where kind of science and and art meet, uh, and that is that I believe that these Portuguese varietals in my part of California, which is the central part of California, specifically on the central coast of California, in the Paso Robles area, San Luis Obispo County. Uh, for those who know the area well, uh, kind of halfway between Monterey and Santa Barbara. Um, it's one of the top growing wine areas, but and I went to school there. Um, but I've always believed that the Portuguese varietals are actually world class that come from there. And I'm out to prove that point. Um, so it's just, uh, I, I love doing it. It's lots of fun. It's not a big project, um, but it's something that I hope uh, if, if you enjoy wine and you're interested um, I hope you try it out, and I hope that you'll uh, tell me if you like it. Or well, let, let's put it up on the screen. This is DevonNunesWines.com. Uh, the design of the bottle alone is so uh, eye-grabbing. It's just it's a dark bottle, white kind of crate text, the American flag, the Patriot 2021 uh, Cabernet. That's DevonNunesWines.com. Uh, in the, the last minute we have in this segment, I'm just curious. Talk to us a little bit about the character of this Torriga Nacional. What, what is the the Portuguese varietal. What what kind of a wine is that? So so when people think of Bordeaux, France, they often think of well that's Cabernet Sauvignon. Well, there's a lot of other Bordeaux wines that include Cabernet Franc, um, Merlot, very popular. So in, in in Portugal, there's the same. I mean, there's actually like you know kind of twenty uh, different varieties that that are pretty prominent there, but the number one, so the Cabernet Sauvignon of the Portuguese varietals is, is Torriga Nacional. And so there's really only, and and a lot of people ask, well, are these Portuguese wines? Well, no, they're no more Portuguese wines than they are Bordeaux wines. It's just the grapes have been planted to California. The only, and this is kind of a trivia question, but the only grape uh, in wine that you may have in California is Zinfandel that that there's an argument over where what cross that Zinfandel is, what country does it come from? Because it dates back in California uh, to the time of the um, of the Spanish being there and the missions being there in the 17 uh, late 1700s, early 1800s. So um, in California, it's it's relatively new, meaning our kind of lifetime where where Napa Valley was put onto the map with Bordeaux uh, varietals. Um, and now people are experimenting with Italian varietals, uh, Burgundy uh, varietals, um, you know, varietals from all over, uh, Spanish varietals, for example. Well, um, and I just happen I to believe that don't these just get Portuguese varietals good, are the ones. Don't just get a good bottle of wine or a crate. You'll also learn some trivia as well. DevonNunesWines.com, the perfect Christmas gift. That's DevonNunesWines.com. You're listening to America First One-on-One, coming to you from the ReliefFactor.com studios.